0: Amen. So, if uh, you were here last week, um, or if you weren't here last week, I will kind of bring you up to speed where we're at. I started a series uh, last week, today, and the next week, three-week series, uh, entitled The King is Coming. And uh, we're going to talk about Advent, the, the two Advents. The word Advent means a coming or, or an arrival. It's the period where we kind of celebrate basically the two times that God will come to earth. Uh, The first time, the first advent, his first coming, was when Jesus was born. Uh, God became man, became flesh, and the second coming is still yet to come, when Jesus will return to this earth. And so we're going to talk about that, just just a little recap, last week, um, which, by the way, somebody told me, I think Steve told me, that on uh, YouVersion, uh, Bible, Bible app, there's a good series. a king is, and it's titled "The King is Coming" about Advent. So you might want to throughout the week. I don't. I didn't read it. I didn't look at it because I didn't want to end up pre, re-preaching it. Sometimes we preachers we we like read a devotional or scripture. And we're like, "Ooh, that's pretty good," and we had it. But I wanted to be. I wanted to be fresh. But anyway, uh, I would encourage you um, take to heart obviously what I'm going to say today uh, throughout this series. Um, but you know, there's some really good devotionals out there what i'm trying to say is ponder this message don't just hear it for about 30 minutes here you say yeah right i've heard you preach before 30 minutes is a stretch i won't try to keep it around 30 minutes but ponder it throughout the week and find some resources that kind of to kind of set it in stone in your mind um because the coming of jesus is important amen Amen. can't talk about it too much but last week um we talked about the king is coming and preparing the way for that, the work that God did to prepare for Jesus' birth, the creation, um, even the prophets, God preparing, doing all the work to prepare, prepare for Jesus to come so that you and I can be saved. We talked about the preparation that you and I have to make, uh, that we have to open our hearts, we have to receive him, we have to repent um, of our sins. And so today I want to talk about, um, the title of today's message is, The King is Coming, um the day of visitation uh so if you want to open your bible to the book of luke chapter number 19 luke chapter 19 verse 37 i'm going to read down through verse 44 luke chapter 19 i'm going to be reading here in the the New King James, and I'll read in the King James here in a minute. By the way, on that note, while you're turning, I've had a few people ask me lately uh, what versions I preach from the most, because I know some of you want to buy Christmas presents for people and get them a Bible, and uh, my, my two, of course, I preach a lot out of the King James as well, but uh, the two translations that I preach the most out of is the ESV, English Standard Version, um, letters ESV, and the New King James are, are the two that I preach out of the most. Uh, so when you go to buy a Bible or something, those are the two I'd recommend. Um, this being the new king king james here luke chapter 19 verse 37 and this is this is let me give you a little background before i read these verses this is uh this is more of an easter scripture right here okay this is when jesus uh is coming into jerusalem Uh, The time of his crucifixion is drawing really close. And as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, everybody is celebrating at this point in time. So it says in verse number 37, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, all the, the miracles that they had seen Jesus do. Saying, and this was what everybody was cheering Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who what? Comes. And that's what Advent is, right? It's a coming. The king, ultimately what they're saying, the king is coming. They're recognizing Jesus as a king, not in the right way, but they're still announcing the right thing. Behold, the king is coming. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Bottom line is, somebody's gonna worship God. Amen? God deserves it. And somebody's gonna worship God. If it's not us, it'll be the mountains, the rocks. Nature will cry out in praise to God. Like someone said one time, I don't want a rock to get my blessing. Do you? Amen, I wanna worship God. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the, the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, and he's, he's now he's talking about Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, but ultimately mankind as a whole, you might say. He said, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone, uh, upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation now jesus is giving basically he's prophesying the future of jerusalem during this time as jesus is riding on this donkey he's coming into jerusalem and everybody is cheering for him jerusalem was a hopping place the economy was good it was it was great and everybody thought they had the world by the tail but jesus prophesied to them now keep in mind jesus was about 33 years old when he was crucified so this was about it was about 33 a.d And he's prophesying that Jerusalem will be destroyed. And just about 40, a little less than 40 years later in 70 AD, Jerusalem was literally leveled just like Jesus said it was gonna do. But the powerful part at the end of that is this, the scary part of this entire thing is that he says, this is gonna happen, Jerusalem is gonna be overtaken, the Romans destroyed the city. The reason why is because you did not know the time of your visitation. The day of your visitation. What is he talking about there? Let's talk about that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and as we read the scripture, <clears throat> we understand the power that is in it. We understand that it is breathe that is not just the words of man, but it is your words. And God, today, I realize that I'm just a man, but through me this morning, I pray that you speak words, powerful words that will hit its mark in all of our hearts. God, that we will... Not take lightly that visitation, that day that you came, that work that you did while you were on this earth, but above all, God, that we might be prepared for that next visitation. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Jesus pouring his life and his ministry into the world uh, around Jerusalem during that time, that's where the miracles were taking place and his preaching, but his, his heart breaks because he knows they're going to be destroyed because they missed the time or they missed the day of visitation. So what does that mean? The day that God visited earth, amen? Through the person of Jesus Christ. So let's back up. It's Christmas. Let's start here in the beginning. You can go into Luke chapter two and I'm going to read it. I'm going to read this from the King James because I, liked a lot of the, I like some of the newer translations, but when it comes to the Christmas story, uh, nobody does it like the King James, amen? So uh, this is in Luke chapter two, verse one, and I'm going to read this Number one, just because you can't hear the Christmas story too much, but I want you to grab a hold this morning to maybe look at it in a different light. You say, okay, that's the Christmas story. Yes, but this is the day God visited earth. This is that first advent, his coming, his arrival, if you will. So Luke chapter two, verse one. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So basically, bottom line, everybody had to go to their hometown to pay their taxes. Let's just kind of simplify it in that way. Dave, or, uh, Joseph was from the town of Bethlehem. That's where his ancestors were from. So he had to travel. He couldn't just uh write a check where he was at and put it in the mail and send it to washington dc he had to go to bethlehem to pay his taxes okay um i was born in wyoming so if that was the case today i would have to travel to wyoming to pay my taxes just kind of put some perspective on that to be verse five so he went to bethlehem to be taxed with mary his his spouse or his uh his engaged wife being great with child and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into, the heaven, into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord had made known unto us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So this, is, this marks that first advent, that first coming when God visited earth, came in person, became becoming human. And so when we read this entire encounter, What we find is that different people reacted in different ways and it's not any different today anytime the gospel is preached different people react different ways jesus kind of put it forward put it forward in the form of a parable he said it's like somebody that goes out and plants a bunch of seeds the seed is the same but the ground is different And the way the seed, the way the ground receives the seed is different. And he said that's basically a picture of people's hearts. The gospel is the same no matter where it's preached, no matter who hears it. But different people receive it different ways. Some people hear the gospel. I promise you, there are, Jesus gave, uh, and I'm not going to go into the details of this, but he gave four different types of ground that represent four different types of the human heart and all four of those types of the ground are probably present here today and out there uh, by live stream so one heart completely rejects the seed one person hears the gospel and, and just completely blows it off one person will receive it hear it and receive it and think okay that's cool i'll accept jesus but as soon as life gets hard things don't work out real well they get all upset because god let this happen and they turn away from god Some people will receive it and say, okay, yeah, this is great. I'll accept Jesus as my savior. But then money and lust and fame and the things of the world come along and they decide they would rather have that than Jesus. But that fourth ground, the kind of ground that everybody should hope to have, the kind of ground that God looks for is the good ground where the the seed is received it grows up and it brings forth abundant fruit. That's the person who says, yes, Lord, I receive you. I want you to come into my life. Remember we talked last week about that in-between Advent. There's the first coming of Jesus as a baby. There's the second coming of Jesus when he comes back. But there's a, there's a coming in which he has to come into our life. And he only comes into our life by invitation. Amen? The good ground. So we, we see this as we read the, the Christmas story. Different people received... Jesus, different ways. So Bethlehem, for one, the whole the entire city of Bethlehem, think about this. God had just come to earth. And where did he arrive? Where did he land? In the city of Bethlehem. I love the song that, that Casting Crowns does about Bethlehem sleeping. Literally, the first coming of God to earth and Bethlehem missed it. I mean, let's think about now, an encounter like that where God comes to earth, that's a celebration worth sparing no cost i mean if we know god is coming to earth i mean that deserves parades that deserves bands they, they should have got their fire trucks and ambulances and police cars out and and, and you know just blared the sirens to announce that god had come to earth there should have been speeches by dignitaries there should have been banners a big to do i mean after all god had just come to earth there should have been some celebrating wouldn't you agree no parade, no dignitaries, no banners. Everybody is in their house, they're asleep and everybody missed it, amen? Jesus said, you missed the day of your visitation. What a, what a shame that they missed out on something like that. <clears throat> the innkeeper didn't have room for the coming God. You know, and of course the innkeeper gets a lot of ripping because, you know, imagine, imagine this, the guy, the hotel, the guy that runs the inn of the hotel, He's booked out. You know why he's booked? Because everybody was coming to town to pay their taxes. Right? So all these people come to town, he, is, he was booked. He had no rooms available. He hears a knock on the door and he opens it up and here's this poor little young couple. And they say, and she's, you know, she's got, you know, she's pregnant and uh, they're they're needing a room. And he says, guys, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, we give him a hard time because he cast him He wasn't casting him out because he was mean. He was booked he said, guys, I'm sorry, I'm booked. I've got, you know, every room's full. But, he, you know, I can see he had compassion on him. I see that you got a situation going on there. So you need to play. So he let him stay in the barn and in the stable. But I want you to think about this for a second. Yes, I mean, it, from a business standpoint, he made the right decision. He, you know, but it, had he known, I mean, had he really known, he's, he's, he's talking to this man and this woman, and he's missing that this little child inside of her is God. I mean, literally, God had just visited him, and he missed it. He didn't know. Had he known that that baby was God, I would almost guarantee he'd have put somebody out of the room. Wouldn't you? I, mean, I don't care that you'd go to noon and knock on the door. Guys, you got to get out. What do you mean you got to get out? God's here. You know? I mean, we're going to give him your room. But he didn't. He missed it. missed the day of his visitation. The... The scribe. But by the way when jesus comes to visit us folks nobody or nothing is more important nobody they're, i mean it doesn't matter if the king himself the real king or a governor or the president or the mayor was in one of those rooms they're not more important you know jesus even put it like this now hold your hold your socks here because this will knock your socks off jesus said it like this and i quote whoever loves their mother and father more than me whoever loves their their son or daughter, more than me, is not worthy of me. You know, we get all spiritual and we say, oh, well, family comes first. No, it don't. If your family comes first, then it is an idol that has come between you and God. That, I'm not, that's not me saying that. That's, I'm just quoting Jesus. Family is not more important. Whoever loves. So it, nobody is more important or should be in our life, so again as we look at these different types of ground you have to kind of put yourself in those shoes and say okay is this kind of how I'm doing am I kind of brushing Jesus to the to the stable or is he the most important part of my life it's important to ask yourself that question the scribes and the Pharisees now if you read in Matthew chapter 2 I'm not going to turn there and read all of it but in Matthew chapter 2 we read kind of another account here where um, with the wise men And the wise men, they see the star. So they see the star and it's over Bethlehem. And so they travel from great distances to come because they recognize, they see God has revealed to them that that the king of Israel, the Messiah, has been born in Bethlehem. And they travel great distances. They get there in order to worship him. And when they come, they go to, naturally, the king, Herod. I mean, he was the the physical, the the fleshly king. And they they go to Herod and they say, we're here to worship the king of the Jews. Now, why do you suppose that bothered Herod? That when, I mean, they just said, the king of the Jews has just been born and we're here to worship him. Why did that bother Herod? Because he was the king of the Jews. Somebody's here gunning for his job and he's nervous about that. And, and so he, he starts questioning. So here's the, here's the interesting part. He goes and he gets all the preachers, the scribes and the priests, and he brings them in. And, and they say, he says to them, Guys, where does, where does the Old Testament, where do the prophecies say that the Messiah is supposed to be born? And they, they say well, Bethlehem. They knew right off the bat. They didn't have to go look it up. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to get online and Google it. They knew. Everybody knew that the Messiah was gonna be born in Bethlehem. Oh, well, he'll come in Bethlehem. And so here, Herod's putting two and two together. They say okay, well, now these people come and they're saying the king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem. And he sets out to destroy the baby right? But well, first of all, he tells, he tells the wise men, you go find him and then come back and tell me where he's at so I can worship him too. And his intention the entire time was to kill the baby. And when the wise men didn't return to Herod, two years had gone by, by the way, we see we see the wise men in the nativity scene. They weren't there in the stable, but it makes for a nice nativity scene, right? But two years goes by and these wise men still haven't come back. So Herod gets ticked off and he says, fine kill every child that's under two years old i want to make sure i kill this king right he did everything he could to stop it of course we know that jesus uh was was spared god told joseph you need to move down to egypt and and god made sure that that baby wasn't killed so my point is this when we look at the ground and the different ways that different people receive it the preachers the scribes blew it off right i mean they knew that the messiah would be, would be born in bethlehem but they, they, they probably thought to themselves, but it's not, I mean, not this, not this little poor couple. You know, Joseph didn't hardly have two nickels to rub together. Probably had about enough to pay his taxes, that's probably about it, probably didn't have enough for that. He was poor, they were poor. Oh, well, the Messiah, the king wouldn't be born to these poor people, would, he, he's gonna be born to royalty. See, the bottom line is Jesus wasn't the king they were looking for. Jesus wasn't the king they wanted. And to this very day, people reject Jesus because he's not the God they want. We would rather have a God who just lets us live life however we want to, wouldn't we? We'd rather worship a God who just says, ah, just live life, be free. We don't want a God that gives us commandments. So that's why we try to erase God from our society. That's why we many times blow God off. The Pharisees said, oh, that's not him, and missed it completely. Herod did everything he could do to try to stop it. You know why? He didn't want to lose control. He didn't want to lose power over his own life. Herod sat on the throne and he didn't want anybody taking him off that throne. He didn't want to lose control, not only over his own life, but over the kingdom. So the bottom line is every one of us folks have a, have a throne that we sit on, right? It's, it's the throne of our kingdom, our world, our life, we're in control of it. We're born with control over our life because God gave us that control. It's called free will. He gives us the control. You do with your life as you please. You can accept me or you can reject me. That's your call. And so many times, we want to remain on that throne. We want to maintain control over our life. We want the power. But the only way, folks, for us to be saved The only way for God to come into our life is for us to get off the throne of our life and allow Jesus to sit on it, amen? Not everybody's willing to do that. That, Hence the different types of ground. Different people receive the the gospel. Different people receive the coming king in different ways. The shepherd and the wise men, they nailed it, right? They nailed it, They, they handled it completely right. They heard it, they heard, They believed, they received him, they worshiped him, they brought him gifts, and they told everybody they knew about it, amen, (laughs) told everybody they knew about him. Shepherds went out and told everybody, God is here. They didn't miss the day of their visitation. God has come, and I am here to just worship him and give him everything I've got. God, God accepts nothing less, and he shouldn't. God, could, God should not accept anything less than our whole heart. Can anybody agree with that? Wise well, men and the shepherds received him. They, ah, God's visited us and I'm, I'm not gonna miss this. Imagine this now. I mean, put yourself in your shoes. I went, I went deer hunting last night and I sat out in the tree stand until it got dark and I can't imagine how cool it would have been for the sky to just glow with angels to come and tell me something. He says, shepherds out of the field, it's dark, and boom, the sky is full of angels and say, hey, by the way, God has just been born. A, a virgin has just give, uh, has give, given forth birth to a child, go and worship him. I, can't, I mean, they didn't just say, well, i mean, I got to watch these sheep, and I've got to, you know, I really need to clean house, and this is my only day to do chores. This is my day. You know, all the excuses we give for why we don't go worship God. And i got this and that and something else. No. I mean, there was nothing. Forget the sheep. There was, God had just visited earth, and they were going to go check it out. They're gonna get in on that. So don't leave today if you don't know Jesus as your savior. Don't leave without getting in on this, amen? God came to visit in that manger, but God came to visit today. Every time we gather by his spirit, God is always present, he's always near. What are we gonna do, what are you gonna do in your day of visitation? You gonna miss it? I hope not. The day of visitation changed their lives. The shepherds, the wise men, changed their lives completely. How many of you can testify today that Jesus Christ, the day he came in and visited you, changed your life? Amen. You've never regretted being saved. I've never had anybody tell me, boy, I just wish that I never got saved. Nobody's ever said that to me before. I've had a lot of people say to me, I wish I'd have got saved sooner. Amen. Amen. So this big declaration from the angels that God has visited and he has brought peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And so you might look around you, you might turn on the news, and you see all the killing and the murders and the wars and the disease and all the turmoil in the world around you. You might see that and you might say, okay, so where's this peace on earth here? I mean, where, where's, where's, what's that all about? I'm not seeing peace on earth. I mean, we, do you think we have peace on earth? Not, at, not in the way we think of peace on earth, not, not the way that all of the, Miss Universe pageant say, I want peace on earth. They, you know, they, they don't want everybody in the world not to fight anymore. Our idea of peace on earth means no wars, no famines, no droughts. Everything in the world is perfect. So what, what's, what's the deal? Where's the peace? Is that the kind of peace on earth that the angels were announcing? No. There's two different advents, two different comings which God came, which brings about, brought about two different types of peace on earth. The first coming, when Jesus came as a baby and he died on the cross for us, when he came to earth, and he brought, He did bring peace on earth. Not in a natural sense like you're thinking, but that first advent was about internal peace. Amen? Internal peace. That, that Jesus, by coming and by dying on the cross, he gave me internal peace with God. He didn't come, he didn't die on the cross to make everything in the world perfect. He'll do that one of these days. We'll talk about that in a minute, but... He didn't come to fix the world, he came to fix me. Amen. Internal peace. And so when he, that, when he brings that goodwill, that peace on earth and goodwill towards men in my heart, then even when all of the world is in chaos, I still have peace. See, without Jesus, the whole world could be at peace and you would still be at war in your heart. You would still have turmoil and, and, and shame and regret for sin. No matter what the world picture was like, but when the world's bad, but you got peace on the inside, hey, that's that's the kind of peace we're looking for here. It's the kind of peace you can have today. You may come in here today thinking, "Gosh, what's life all about? Where am I going to spend eternity? What if I die? What if Jesus come?" I mean, all this turmoil, and you can be 100 percent, completely at peace internally today, just simply by receiving and inviting Jesus into your life. Internal peace now that second advent, that second coming when Jesus comes through the clouds with great power and great glory, now we're talking about peace on earth, amen? That's when Satan is destroyed and cast out. That's when sin is eradicated and eliminated. Death, sorrow, dying, all of that's gone. You wanna talk about a peaceful earth, you wait till Jesus sits on the throne, amen? He's already on the throne, but you wait till he really does set up his worldly kingdom. You read about the millennium, and I'm not a... You come back to uh, the uh, Revelation series that Matt's teaching. He'll get to that uh, millennium, millennial reign one of these days when Jesus literally sets up reign on this earth uh, for a 1,000 years. Peace like you and I can't even imagine, okay? That, but all that comes with the second advent. We've got to be prepared and ready and looking in the meantime. We've got to be satisfied with internal peace right now. Amen? John the Baptist. If you remember, we talked about him just a little bit last week. His calling was to be the forerunner of cross, to, to be the forerunner of Christ. To say to people, "Hey, the you know the Messiah is coming. Prepare the way. Right. Get ready. He's coming." But we find over there, you know, later on, after after all the preparation, day after day after day, John the Baptist is preparing people. God is coming. God is coming. God is coming. And and all, and finally, that day ha- that day came where John the Baptist is baptizing people and he looks up on the shore of the river and he sees God walking towards them, amen? He sees Jesus walking and he stops everything and he points everybody's attention and he says, behold, the Lamb of God which comes to take away the sins of the entire world, amen? Ultimately, what was he saying? Guys, everybody look at this. You won't wanna miss this. God is visiting us right now. God is coming and he's here. Not only is he coming, he's here, ready or not, right? And what we find later on, in fact, you know, we started reading a little bit there in, in, in Luke 19, when you go on down a little bit further, what we find after, after Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem and he's sad for them and he saying, God, you guys have missed the day of your visitation and, and you know, judgment's coming and, um, you know, and Jesus hated it, but the Bible says he went into the temple and he sees all kinds of junk going on in the temple, People are selling sacrifices. They're making profit, personal gain in the church, basically. And Jesus says, This is my house. This is my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And he grabs a whip and he turns over the money changers, the tables, and he, he drives everybody out of the temple. I mean, he literally talked, remember last week we talked about cleaning house? When Jesus comes, He, he cleans house. And that's, we should want him to. We should invite him. Lord, come into my life with your whip. <laughs> right come into my life drive out everything in this temple that that you don't like that you don't want to see cleanse me i want you to visit me they weren't real happy about jesus's visit that day in the temple those people didn't respond very well to god's visit when he drives them out and he turns over their money their, their money they were just money hungry and they were angry and they began from that moment the bible says they begin to try to figure out how they could kill jesus and get rid of him Because that's what people do when they don't want a God. Telling them what to do. Jesus has come in and tried to clean house. Some people let him, some people didn't. Jesus today is trying to clean house. Some some of you will let him and some of you won't. I pray that you will. I I pray that nobody misses this visitation. Amen. This this dealing of the spirit where he comes to say, guys, I want to come in. Yeah, I want to clean house. Think about it. I think surely all of you that are saved can testify to this. I know I can. Did God take some things away from me when I got saved? Yes, and I'm glad he did. Did he take some things away from me that I liked? Yeah. He never, God never took anything away from me that he didn't give me something far better in its place. I don't I do know about you guys, that internal peace is pretty big. Any sin or lust that I had to lay down, man, that's nothing compared to the peace God gave me. That internal peace, goodwill. Uh, it was a good trade. Amen. It's a good trade. Sins for salvation, heaven for hell. It's a good trade. I recommend it. That first Advent was. A, it was a 33-year visit from God. Okay, from the time Jesus was born to the time He was crucified was around around 33 years. The single most important period in human history, bar none, the most important. So important, we have established our calendar system by it. This is the year 2020. How many of you are glad that 2020 is almost over, (laughs) right? But despite all that, this is the year 2020. Does that mean that the earth is only 2020 years old? Why would, if the earth is, and there's arguments on that, but assume, let's say, I would like to say it's around 6,000 some odd years. So let's just go with my theory. It's thousands of years old. Why do we say this is the year 2020? Why don't we say this is the year 6,020? Good question, I think. Why do we say it's 2020? 2,020 years from what? From the birth of Jesus Christ. Everything before 2020, go back to zero. Everything before that is known as BC. What does BC stand for? Before Christ. Everything after that is AD. What does AD stand for? Anos Domini. I never know if I pronounced that right. It's a Latin term that means in the year of our Lord. This is 2020 years since our Lord came to earth. Literally, atheists, people who despise and reject God are bound by a calendar that is determined by the event in which God came to earth. Isn't that awesome? Now they try to rename it, call it common era, and so it doesn't matter what they name it, it still goes back to the birth of Jesus Christ. I love it. <laughs> love it. It's 33 year Long visit, most important period. That first visit from God, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. The first day of his visit, the last day of his visit, 33 years later, he was wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a tomb, amen? In that 33 years, Jesus showed us how it's done. He taught us how to love God, he taught, taught us how to love one another, but most of all, he taught us to watch, to be prepared, to be ready for his second coming, amen? And he taught a lot about it. It's important that we understand that this world's not gonna go on as long, forever. If you believe that this world had a beginning, then you have to believe that it has, has an ending, amen? And God, if, if God's the one that created it and you believe that, then you gotta believe that God will be the one that ends it, right? Just logical, perfect logical sense. The second coming, folks, the second advent is going to last a lot longer than 33 years. It's going to last forever. There will be no end. That second coming of Jesus, there will be no end to his kingdom. There will be no end before eternity. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, as the tree falls, so shall it lay. When it falls, whatever position it's in, that's where that tree is going to lay. And so when Jesus comes, whatever condition our heart is in, that's the condition our heart will be in. There's no repenting after that. There's no fixing it after Jesus comes or after we die. As we die, so we shall stand before God. So it only makes sense. Invite him, right? Take advantage of the visit. Say, what if God walked in the door right now in all of his glory and you could see him? What would you do? Good news, he is here. He's here by way of his spirit. It's it's God visiting right now that is maybe making your heart pound out of your chest. It's making you very uncomfortable right now because you know you're not right with God. It's because he's visiting you, he's dealing with you, he's calling you, he's inviting you. All you gotta do is open the door and let him in. That easy. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, I, I invite you. Come, come into my life. Make me ready for that second coming. The, the disciples, the day Jesus ascended, after he was crucified and he rose again from the dead, <clears throat> he spent some time there with his disciples, and then he gathers them together, he prepares them for the work that they were supposed to do, and then the Bible says that he just ascended. Uh, gravity just turned loose, and he ascended. He went back into heaven to be with the Father. And The Bible says that all of the disciples are standing there watching him. It's kind of like the balloons, you know, that the, you he, he didn't watch him till you can't watch him and you can't see him anymore. And they're all standing there and they're watching Jesus ascend. And the Bible says that while they were doing that, there was an angel that came and stood beside them and said, you men of Galilee, why why stand you here gazing? Why are you just standing here looking up into heaven? This is the best part. That same Jesus who you see leaving and going up into heaven shall so come in like manner. (laughs) The same Jesus that you see leaving is coming back again. So now, don't stand there gawking up into heaven. Go get to work. Right? Don't, he visited. Don't miss the day of your visitation. Do what you're called to do and understand that one day he's gonna visit again. And it's not gonna just be for 33 years. It's gonna be forever. <laughs> Amen? Talk about a permanent visit. Revelation 19 gives a beautiful picture. Powerful picture of that second coming and what it'll look like when that Jesus comes again, if we're standing here, we're looking, the disciples watched him leave. This is what it's gonna look like when he comes back. Now John, John gets a picture of this, God shows him. Now I saw heaven opened, this is Revelation 19. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is Jesus on the horse, by the way, if you had not figured that out by now. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I personally think that's us. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That's where he's getting rid of Satan and all the sin that goes with it. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. (laughs) Think about that picture. When the king is really coming forever, what kind of king is coming? An earthly king to set up a worldly kingdom? Mm Mm-mm. And that's what the Jews were looking for. That's why the scribes and some of them ignored it. They're looking for God to just come in in an earthly form, set up an earthly kingdom and give them what they wanted. Just like people want now. We want God in our life as long as he gives us what we want. Isn't that true? As long as he gives me what I want, I'll serve him. Eh, Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. We serve God. If Jesus never did another thing for us, for us, (laughs) we're in the Ozarks. If Jesus never did another thing for us, ever, he did enough at the cross, amen? I'll serve him if he gives me everything I want, but if it's the first time that God doesn't give me what I want, then I'm I'm out. That's not real salvation. That's not the real deal, amen? It wasn't an earthly kingdom to give us what we want that he came to set up. It was an eternal kingdom. Every eye will see him. When he comes, In all of his glory, Jesus said to the the Pharisees, you you shall see the Son, Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. There'll be no mistaking who he is, amen? Every eye will see him when he comes again. Every ear will hear that trumpet blast. Every knee will bow to him. Nobody will be left standing, oh look, there's Jesus, no, Boom, flat on our faces, recognizing how glorious, how great he is. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at his second coming. He came once, and you can deny that. But when he comes again, you can't deny that. Nobody will. Amen? So, let me me close. I'm gonna ask you the same question I asked you a minute ago. So, Jesus is visiting now. Jesus, I mean, in fact, he said, if two or three are gathered together in my name... I will be there in their midst. Look to your right, see if you see somebody. Look to your left, see if you see somebody. If you do, that means there's at least three people here. We're gathered together here today in his name. And therefore, Jesus promised that when we gather, he's he's, he's in our midst, he's here, he's visiting, literally, he is visiting here today. So my question to you then is, what are you gonna do with it? Will you miss the day of your visitation. This may be the last time, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to use scare tactics, I'm really not, but I'm trying to be real. This may be the last time God visits you. People die at all ages. I mean, how many times, even this year, we hear somebody passing like, oh man, I can't believe that they were so young and they seemed so healthy. And I, There's just no promise of tomorrow you may be alive for a long time and God may visit you many times forward. I don't know, could be, I hope so. I hope you have all the time in the world. But here's the thing, you may not. So all I can guarantee you is this. God's visiting you today. That's pretty much all I can guarantee you. Amen? So what are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna miss the day of your visitation? Will you ignore it and regret it later? later? Where are you receive him? Will you invite him in? That's that's your question. Everybody has to do something with that today. Amen? Would you bow with me this morning? As they come for a song of invitation, just just do some real good deep soul searching here today, okay? Uh, Nobody can answer this question but you. Are you saved? Have you repented of your sins? Have you invited Jesus into your life? Have you trusted Jesus? That his work on the cross, when he died on the cross, that took care of your sins. Have you invited him in when he called, when he knocked? He's knocking today. Jesus said in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anybody who opens the door, I will come in. (laughs) I will visit them. What are you going to do with this visitation today? Will you miss it? Will you take advantage of it?